Hi there, I'm Jake Comfrey and you're listening to High Performance, our conversation for you every single week. This is the podcast that reminds you that it's within your ambition, your purpose, your story. It's all there. We just help you unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So right now, allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes to speak to the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars and entrepreneurs on the planet so they can be your teacher. And please remember this podcast is not about high achievement. It's not about high success. It's about high happiness, high self-worth and taking you closer to a life of fulfillment, empathy and understanding. And here's the thing, this is the most personal episode of the High Performance Podcast that I've ever recorded. Today, this awaits you. It was just baked into me, that's kind of, you had to graft and my graft came from seeing my dad, my mum do it day in, day out. I think strength and a weakness of mine is I'm obsessive. I'm, I'm relentlessly obsessive about everything. And that has been very useful to get to this point, but it's also been very damaging to get to this point for me. I wake up, I think about Whisper, and the last thought I have is about Whisper. And that happened for years and years and years, and it was just non-stop. And that came with compromises in my personal life. Um, I gave too much to the business. Uh, I'd miss out on key milestones, not birthdays of my kids or, or, or my wife, um, but you'd miss bedtime, you'd miss the birthday party for a friend, you'd miss going on holiday with your mates or whatever it was. And they were the compromises I made. I, I made so many of those. And I think when you're getting going and you, you've just got to be prepared to make those compromises and be comfortable with that. There's an expectation when you walk through the door at Whisper that you should be able to do your job and you should be exceptional. So today, uh, I welcome to High Performance one of my greatest friends and one of the most incredible colleagues that I've ever worked with, Sunil Patel. This is a conversation about the truth, the truth behind being a self-starter, the truth behind being incredibly driven, the truth behind feeling the pressure of having to make sure you pay the wages of hundreds of people during a pandemic, the truth behind being an entrepreneur. So this is a conversation with Sunil Patel. And Sunil and I set up a production company called Whisper Films a decade ago. Since then, it has grown in a way that you can't believe. We feel incredibly lucky to have so many amazing staff work for us to be producing such incredible content. But I think in this modern world where being an entrepreneur or being self-employed or running a business is promoted as sexy and cool and given you autonomy and it's all over podcasts and it's all over Instagram and it's, it's all about making it seem easy. I think it's really important that we talk about the truth today. We talk about the fact that it does cause collateral damage and that it isn't an easy route and that it comes with absolutely no guarantees. However, at the same time, the rewards and the satisfaction is huge. It is incredible. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done, setting up Whisper. And I really want you to recognise our path, to recognise my path and Sunnel's path and to realise that what we have, you could have. The way that we've done it, you can do it. The things we've achieved, you can achieve. There's nothing unique or special about us. Sunnel is the son of a news agent. His dad ran a shop in Twickenham. He went to the local state school. He went to university and grafted. I was born in a small village in Norfolk. My dad was a charity worker. My mum was a teacher. We had no money. I knew nobody in the television industry. I failed my exams and ended up working in TV doing work experience. 
And from that, of all the things we've achieved, Whisper Group is the thing that we are most proud of because we are changing the world for the better. And I know that just sounds like a cliche. It sounds like words. It sounds like a bloody advert for the business, but it isn't. Because I guarantee you've seen some of the content we produce, whether it's our coverage of UEFA football competitions, whether it's our Formula One coverage, whether it's the Paralympics that we produced for Channel 4. We brought you the Lionesses for the BBC this summer. We've just produced an amazing documentary with Ben Stokes for Amazon Prime. But it's not about what we do, it's the way we do it. In front of, and most importantly, behind the camera, we have a really bold business. We are 50% female. We represent the underrepresented. We have a really young workforce. We're incredibly inclusive. We support people who are not supported. We recognise people who are not generally recognised. We have schemes with various universities to try and promote the best young talent and give people from all backgrounds an opportunity to thrive in the broadcast industry. Because I think that if you're going to do it, you have a responsibility to do it right. And I believe that's what we've done with the Whisper Group. So you're about to hear the story of how Sunil and I, along with the help of so many amazing people, created Whisper. This is the unfiltered truth about setting up your own business and striving for excellence. Enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, Sunil, welcome to High Performance. This is a slightly surreal situation to kind of um, be sitting here having a conversation about the company that we created over a decade ago on my podcast. And one thing you will find out about Sunil, he's, he's very modest and very self-deprecating. But the truth is that you know Sunil's been the wind beneath the wings of Whisper for the last 12 years where we've grown from well, the first two employees were Sunil and my wife, him working out of his spare bedroom, Harriet working out of our spare bedroom. And now we have over 200 people working in the business. And I just thought it'd be really interesting, Sunil, just to talk about how this whole journey has happened, the things that we've learned along the way, the successes and the failures, because so many entrepreneurs listen to this podcast and they send me messages saying, well, how have you done it? I'd love to hear your story. But I thought I couldn't tell my story about creating Whisper without you being central to it. So if I, if I talk about the very beginning, what do you consider to be the beginning of Whisper? I think the genesis for me is it was born out of rejection um, and frustration at, at kind of previous places I'd worked um, and the, the ability to have ownership on something and control your own destiny. And once I knew that was an option and it all started to sort of take shape, but it was, it was born out of that rejection piece, really feeling like 
didn't necessarily fit in, didn't really feel there was an opportunity for me going forward. Would you expand on that idea of feeling rejected and not fitting in? What did that look like for you? Uh, do, do you know what? I think it comes back to just from being a kid very early on, young, uh, I didn't go to nursery. I went to junior school. Having not gone to nursery, I wasn't really equipped to to communicate and mix with other children. So I found that hard. I've always felt an outsider. It's probably the only person of probably two of us of colour in our junior school, right? Uh, infant school. So I've always been on the outside of things, and that was difficult. And then going up through school, college, I always felt that bit of an outsider in terms of the family. Um, I think it's well documented Indian families have very high expectation of their children. Often it's kind of being an accountant, being a lawyer, being a dentist, being a doctor, being a scientist. And and for me, I I just didn't fit that mold. And I was kind of one of those kids at school where I wasn't super academic, but I had something else. And I think I had a work ethic and I had a drive that was very early there with me. And And it wasn't until Whisper that I unleashed that drive really. So tell us a bit about your parents then. Like, what was their story? So um, super fortunate to kind of learn from my mum and dad. And I was born in Walsall, which a lot of people don't know from this Mockney accent I now carry. Um, <laughs> I was very lucky that mum and dad moved to London when I was very young. Um, they ended up in Twickenham of all places and uh, ended up with, like most Indian families at the time, um, with a news agents. Were your parents first generation in yes. this yeah, country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and dad could barely speak English. Mum was not much better, um, living in not the diverse world we live, find ourselves in these days and the, and the more inclusive world that we have. Um, it was tough seeing kind of some of the stuff that they went through, uh, people coming through the shop being abusive. Um, so that was really brutal. But the one thing it taught me was I used to see my dad get up at half five in the morning, open the shop stand all day, build the business, and he would close the shop at half six, sweep up the front of the shop, tidy everything up, and then we'd have dinner at seven, and that would repeat six days a week. And on Sunday, it would be finish at one thirty, and our family time was pretty much two till six on a Sunday. Um, and I think that's where it was just baked into me. That's kind of you had to graft, and my graft came from seeing my dad, my mum do it day in, day out. So kind of... Go back to that experience you said, though, of seeing people come into the shop and being abusive to your parents. Because we had a a guest on our live show, Vex King, uh, the author, that spoke about a similar experience and how that had almost been forged into who he was, that, uh, that sense of helplessness as a young boy, seeing family members experiencing that kind of bigotry. What did it do for you? Did it reinforce that outsider status? It, it, it did. It absolutely did. And it wasn't until I started challenging that. As a young kid, I, I wasn't equipped with the skill set to kind of deal with other people. And that's why I've been so different with my kids getting into nursery very early, getting into mix with other people, building their confidence to talk to adults. Um, I've kind of instilled that in my kids. But for me, I, I just didn't have that ability to communicate. And then I think there was a couple of light switch moments where I realized for me to fit in, I had to do something different. And it came through school. At school, I, I realised for me to fit in, I had to play sport. I love sport. So kind of sport has been central to everything I've done and continue to do. Um, and for me, 
playing sport meant I could excel or at least try and excel and it made me kind of acceptable so if I was good at cricket or okay at football I'd be accepted by people around me at school and then at college once I went through school it was about right actually I'm actually going to work hard academically and I did well academically then at left college went to university and I went the other way and it became for me to fit in I'm gonna have to a play rugby league which was alien coming from Twickenham and try and fit in this was in Salford in Salford brutal environment but loved it but the biggest thing for me was to be accepted I had to party hard and I had to out party to fit in and that seems strange to concept but that's what I did I then left university started my career and I made a massive mistake. I didn't adjust. I carried on partying thinking that was it. And it wasn't until kind of 10 years into my career, I thought, hang on, what am I doing here? And it it coincided with meeting Jake and starting the Formula One at the BBC where, and then I started working hard. Because you know, the first time I ever met Sunil, I was at some work event and I had never spoken to him, but we all went out on a, having a few drinks and I was new to sports broadcasting at the BBC. And there was all, there was like a commotion or something. And this guy, had you thrown your mobile phone into the River Thames or something? Yeah. We, I was like, what's going on there? They were like, oh, it's just one of the production team. And this kind of, I don't know if you had your top off or you were like, whatever it was, like this mobile phone got hurled into the Thames. And I thought, whoa, I might steer clear of him. And now here we are a decade later having created this business together. And we, I think we need to talk about that because it's, it's all about growth and you know, I think one of the frustrations for both Sunil and myself is that I think in this world, people see you as a certain type of person. So people would see me as a ex-kids presenter. I still get that thrown at me all the time. People would see Sunil as a member of the production team. They still can't believe that we've gone on to create a business, turning over tens of millions of pounds and employing hundreds of people because in their minds, they still see us as that. And I think that having the belief, that both of us having the belief that you're not fixed, and you're constantly growing, I think is a really important lesson that we want people to take away from our journey of creating Whisper. And it's lovely for me to hear that Sunil kind of created this business out of rejection because I've sat and thought long and hard, how did we end up building Whisper? And it's only here in this conversation that I realise that's exactly what I did as well. Because I remember I was badly bullied at um, well, we moved house when I was coming towards the end of primary school, just before we went to high school. And you know, at that point, all of the cliques and all the friendship groups are, made, are like created already. So I remember us moving house and I went into this junior school. So did you move out of the area? Moved well? from Peterborough to Norwich. Right. Yeah. And everyone had, they, they were all their mates already. So I was then like on the outside. And then before I knew it, that school had, we'd all moved to high school together and I was still the outsider. So then I started doing stupid stuff, like lying to fit in. Oh, my uncle plays for Norwich City or whatever it was. Some ridiculous lie. Oh yeah, um, I'm a semi-professional footballer. I was like 11 years old. What was I talking (laughs) about? I've seen you play football. Exactly. (laughs) But it was a desperation to fit in. And, And I never really did. And then I went all the way through high school as not really fitting in, not really excelling at anything. Um, I did okay in my GCSEs, started A-levels, failed all three of my A-levels, got an E, an N and a U. I had a job at McDonald's I got fired from, so I didn't fit in there. And then I had to go back to school to redo my A-levels for a whole year. 
And I didn't fit in there either because I was suddenly with kids a year younger. And you know what it's like at school. You never talk to the kids who are a year below you because like, it feels like a lifetime away. So I didn't fit in there. And then that led me to doing work experience, which got me a job in TV in Norwich. And I remember starting that. And, and I never had any ambition to be a presenter or be on the stage or anything. And very quickly, I, was, I liked the idea of being a presenter, but they didn't really employ presenters. So they used me to do bits and pieces of it. But I was a kid retaking his A-levels who suddenly was talking about being a TV presenter in this world of full-time TV employees. So I didn't really fit in there either. So actually, there's this constant story for both of us from our backgrounds of not fitting in. And I think that we make the mistake of assuming all three of us are now parents, right? We look at our kids and think, well, I hope, I hope they fit in. I hope they've got loads of mates. I hope they're the successful one at school. I hope they're popular. All of that stuff, I don't think matters when it comes to actually what they're going to achieve with their lives. I think sometimes the people that achieve the most are the ones that don't fit in because they're the scrappers. Yeah, I've, I've got this big issue with education. And I think it's broken in the sense that you are deemed at, at such a young age, you're deemed a success or a failure based on whether you're good at English, maths or science. And if you're in that pool that sits out of being kind of an ASAR student or an A to C or kind of even below that, you're deemed a failure. And actually, it, I know from myself that I wasn't kind of in that bracket of excelling in, in school, but I've made, a lot, I've made a pretty successful career out of it now. And I think I just feel for all those kids now that are just getting pulled into, yeah, yeah no hope just because they don't fit into the kind of English we maths were, We were then two misfits that kind of found each other, weren't we? Well, there's, yeah, know. absolutely. And But what intrigues me though, Sonil, and the same for you as well, Jake, is that you've been on the outside of societies, but you described like going up to the University in Salford as it's a pretty brutal environment. You're going into a TV industry that is bare knuckle in yeah. terms of that to go as outsiders into environments that and not warm, welcoming places, but places that actually are going to test you even more. Do you think that outsider status gave you almost a superpower, like a force field, because you'd already experienced rejection? I don't know about Sunil, but I absolutely had no doubts that we would make Whisper a success when we first started having the conversation. So the way this all happened was that the outsider Sunil found himself working in Formula One on the production team. The outsider, Jake, found himself as the presenter. But we were constantly frustrated and constantly let down by the quality of content that independent production companies were bringing to the paddock. So, for example, they would come to us on the BBC and they'd say, if we get two great drivers and a great car on a great track, do you want the footage? And we'd say, yeah, of course, well, we can put that on the telly, but it would arrive and it would be either covered in advertising or badly shot or poor sound. It was just awful. And at the same time, BBC Sport were moving to Manchester and Sonal didn't want to move to Manchester. And I... You've been I, put off by your first visit. <laughs> do, do you know what? What was interesting about that is I could have moved. I met my wife at the time of at, at university in, in Salford and a lot of my friends stayed up in Manchester in right. the north. So out of all the people in our department, I had a, a kind of life to fit into, but I, I just didn't fancy it. Why? I think I, I just loved my life in London. I loved my mates. Um, I just loved that environment. And um, it was a big risk because I didn't really have anything to go to. And it's it's just kind of the luck of whisper happening and giving me that outlet. Let's be clear what happened here. I mean, I had a job 
and I'd never left my job. I remained the presenter of the BBC's Formula One and then ended up going to BT Sport, right? Both of them well-paid jobs. There's no risk for me here. The risk was all on Sunnel because he had a job. He had the opportunity to go to Manchester. We just got together in the paddock in the Italian Grand Prix and said, look, why don't we just create our own company? And we can go to all of these Formula One. I mean, we were naive as well, which I think is a superpower. I would say, do this stuff when you're naive, man, because you don't see all the problems that might happen. You know, we thought it would be easy. It wasn't, but we thought it was, and that's the reason we did it. If we'd have known all this, we might never have done it. So we got together, had this conversation. Let's set up a production company. Didn't have a name, didn't have anything, didn't have an office. Sonor then walked away from his job to join a business the two of us had created and basically went to work one morning in his back bedroom. And there was nothing. But if you pause there then, because that, like, it's an easy thing to say, you walked away from it, but you're a child of first-generation immigrants where expectations high that you haven't pursued the career of law or medicine, you've gone down the TV production route, and now you're walking away to set up a business with no guarantees of it. None of that is easy. So tell us your thought processes behind the courage to do that. I love taking a risk. One thing I've always come to terms with, understand what the worst case scenario is and get comfortable with it. And I knew that if it didn't work, I didn't have quite the conviction that Jake had. I thought I've got a reasonable chance with Jake on board and David Coulthard on board. No, but don't forget at this point, DC wasn't involved. So we'd set, so you really, in some ways, were you taking a bit of a risk on me thinking, well, he's on the telly, so we'll win a a few contracts because he's on the TV. I, I remember phoning my best mate who's an accountant and massive role model for me and, and kind of I, I use him as a really good sounding board. This is a friend from school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're like still best mates right. since school. Uh, he's an accountant, but use him to sound kind of ideas off. And I phoned him up when I was sorting this out and I said, oh, I'm going to leave the BBC. Why are you doing that? Why are you leaving the BBC? I'm going to set up a production company. Who with? Oh, Jake. Why does Jake want to set up a com- production company with you? And I was like, uh... I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think we can make it go of it. Anyway, he, and he's always been a massive supporter of me. But then then David came on board and I had the same conversation. I said, David's coming on board. And he said, how much are you paying David? And I was like, no, David wants to pay us and come on board. And he's like, I don't know what's Should going on here. This is a ridiculous story. So we, we realised pretty quickly that maybe we needed someone who had a commercial bone in their body because we... Did not. I mean, we both had come through the, the BBC school, you know, that we had no commercial mindset at all. We weren't business people in any way, shape or form. And I, I want people listening to this to realise that you can't not do these things because you haven't had the education in business or you don't know anything about running a business. The only way to find that motivation is to do it. Action leads to motivation. So just make the decision to do it, <clears throat> which we did. And look, let me put the caveat in, you know, I was on the TV and we were working in Formula One. Let's not try and make this out to be something it isn't. We were privileged in that sense that we had some kind of opportunity, but then hundreds of thousands of people have come before us with opportunity that haven't taken it. So we realised we needed some help and we went to see DC and we said, look, you know loads of people in the paddock, you've been around for years. Would you consider getting involved in, in our little production venture? And he said, what would it cost me to be involved? And we were thinking, well, we weren't expecting that kind of question. So I said, I think I said to Sonal, <laughs> what do you reckon? And he said, <laughs> he said, well, I need a new bathroom, <clears throat> which is going to cost me a few grand. 
So if you can get him to pay a few grand, then I know I can get my bathroom renovated and and then he, and he's in the business. So amazingly, DC, I mean, it's still the best investment DC's ever made, by the way. David then came on board as our third partner to create Whisper. And that was, that was really where the story began. So let's sort of pick it up then, because I'm interested in this idea that, because you're the one that, with all the risk here, that, that you've got Jake on board, David has come on board with it. Tell us what your thought processes were at this stage. At that point, I'm thinking, I've got something here. I've got a team, and team for me is everything. I'm all about people around me. You cannot build anything by yourself. You have to have good people around you. And part of my success, a lot of my success, is having Jake and David around me. And they don't do much in terms of, for me personally, but what they do do is empower me and have time and time again given me the confidence and the room to grow. So give us an example of what that looks like then. It's, it's just simple. It's just kind of encouragement, kind of belief. And that they're just little things. It's not, it's not as if I have hours on end with David and Jake on the phone. It might just be a little message or I might have got something wrong and they're like, don't worry about that. I've got your back. You're going to fly. It's just total, total, total belief in me, which then makes me feel 10 foot tall and makes me empowered to get on with it with my team it's and again it's not about me it's about kind of the team i've built around me my management team and everyone who's come since then so you've heard the consequences of mm. of that what is it in sunil that you see jake that that gives you that confidence to to just have that trust and belief in him i've never met someone who is so focused on the smallest of margins. Like if you're watching this interview now on YouTube rather than listening to it as a podcast, you'll see that Sonal's got his branded water bottle. He's got his branded cap. If Whisper were producing this podcast today, every single person would be wearing a Whisper t-shirt. When people join our business, they get given a playbook which has the ethos and the non-negotiable beliefs of our business and how we create ourselves and, and how we carry ourselves as a business. All of these tiny details on their own won't make a difference. But when you put them all together, they will. And I'd spent my life meeting people who were brilliant creatives or meeting people who were really well organised. I'd never met anyone like Sunil who can do the creative stuff, but then is also really organised as well. But we still had no work at this point. And I'll never forget going to the Williams Formula One team and saying to them, would you mind giving us a shot? Would you mind giving us a chance to produce some content for you? And they amazingly agreed to allow us in the room. In the room to produce their content. While you're the, there, you've asked yeah, the question. Yeah, while, while we were there. They said, okay, we'll give you our budget for the year, which wasn't much. It was a few thousand pounds, you know. And we that was enough for us to feel like we then had a business. So we'd gone to the Williams Formula 1 team. We'd said we're setting ourselves up. And basically what we said to them is, we'll give you the very best quality content for less money than you're already paying. What do you think? And that was the whole pitch of our entire business. And they agreed to it. We left in disbelief. I still remember the feeling now, don't you, of just utter disbelief that someone had said, okay. And we pulled into a lay-by around the corner from their factory in Grove and started dancing next to the car until his son went, hold on, they might be looking out the window. <laughs> they might not think this is very professional. And then we got in the car and drove back to London and we were like, well, we better think of a name of the business. We better name the business. And on that journey, a whisper was, was created. Was that your idea the name yeah 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 well by the way it's not a cult in terms of not everything is branded at whisper <laughs> so um 
Yeah, I remember that journey very vividly, thinking everything just in fast forward and then at the same time trying to come up with a name and um, lots of people have asked me where that came from. It was my first lads holiday away in 96. We, uh, we end up in a bar called Whisper uh, in uh, Magaluf and that's where it came from. Nothing, well, nothing more than that. But then go back to that observation Jake made of you that like the, the last 10% is where you come alive. Where does that come from, that that creative mindset and yet the ability to get into the weeds? I think strength and a weakness of mine is I'm obsessive. I'm, I'm relentlessly obsessive about everything. And that has been very useful to get to this point, but it's also been very damaging to get to this point for me. I've had lots of highs, lots of lows as a result of being obsessive. Not, not, not many people can live with that as a partner in, a, in terms of a business partner or personally um friends it's it's a tough place to be around when you're kind of on every little detail and thankfully over the last two years i've 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 found a bit of inner peace with myself and that obsessive relentless nature has just subsided a little bit and also i think i don't think i'm overly talented but i think i can do two things that i can control the levels that i operate at and it's be a nice person and work hard Pre-COVID, we used to have work experience kids come in every week. And every Friday, I'd sit down with every single one of them for 15 minutes just to let them have time with me. And not that I'm anything special, but to them, kind of, I'm the boss yeah, of the yeah. business. And over time, they'd ask me the same question. What what do you look for in a hire? And um, it's almost become my non-negotiable. Two things that whether you're the CEO of a business that's been running for 12 years, you've been in the industry 20 plus years, or you're a work experience still at school, college, you can be a nice person and you can work hard. And it's still two things I teach my kids. Like, I'm not too worried about the schoolwork, but if you can say please and thank you and you can stick a shift in and and go and go again, then I think you'll do all right in life. And I think that's the biggest takeout um, I'd give to anyone on this this kind of listening. I like the bit about go and go again, because if... If we look at the early years of Whisper, long before it is the business that it is now, we did have to go and go again because it was constantly full of rejection and knockback. And I, I'd be really interested to hear you talk about this as well. But one of the hardest things actually for me is that people in the TV industry were very difficult to convince that they should use us to produce content for them. And I think this again comes back to a growth mindset. You know, why can't an ex-kids TV presenter who's done a bit of Formula One and a guy who's worked on the production, why can't they go and produce a big program for one of the network channels in the UK? The kind of feeling that we were getting from the industry at this point was, well, you're not a production company. You're a couple of people that work in telly having a go. And we just weren't getting a single opportunity, were we, to make a television program? And I remember that being an absolute shock for me, that we kind of thought, the, you know, a bit of commercial work would be nice, but we wanted to make TV. Yeah. And we wanted to make TV better than anybody else makes TV, but nobody would give us a job. So how did you handle that then, sort of? Again, didn't handle it that well. I felt I got frustrated, got very down, got uh, that, that sense of rejection came, like that, that euphoria of, working for the likes of Red Bull, Hugo Boss, Shell, Williams, that was flying. But uh, at the heart of it, I was a TV producer and Jake was a TV presenter. 
um, and we couldn't break that environment. And actually, I remember how it all kind of changed. And it's interesting about listening to your gut. And some of the biggest mistakes I've made in my career have been when I haven't listened to myself. But actually, one of the best examples of actually going with your gut was when myself, Jake and David decided that we would let Channel 4 invest in the business. Now, we didn't need the money. We'd been super frugal with kind of money we'd bought in. We left it in the business. We were financially robust. We didn't need any investment. But what we decided, what I saw as an opportunity was if Channel 4 come on and invest in us, it'll give us instant credibility that if a broadcaster in the UK trusts this business, then we can trust them to produce X, Y, Z. From that moment on, we started producing NFL for NFL and the BBC. We then won the Formula One. We then won women's football and everything exploded. But the amount of people that said to me at the time, don't do it. Jake, David were on board, by the way. There was a lot of people, a lot of experience, a lot of business acumen that were, don't do it, don't do it. Why are you giving away X percent of your business? But I could see the opportunity. And I think for me, I've always been kind of fortunate to, to kind of almost see two, three steps ahead of where I want to get to and work back from that goal. You described that like anyone that comes into your whisper world, it's about being a nice person and working hard, the two controllables. When you're giving away equity in a business, what are the criteria that you're looking at beyond the commercial relationship? What is it that gives you that gut instinct that says we can work together? I think with, with Channel 4, it was what they stood for. I mean, they were a disruptor and they still remain as a disruptor. Um, in the broadcast industry, the people that brought us into the room, so the likes of David Abraham, Jay Hunt, uh, were instrumental in making that decision for me personally and kind of aspirational characters, people that inspired me to feel like I could go to the next level. And I think the other thing for us has always been ambition, like ambition with complete scale. So I remember when we first had this conversation with Channel 4 and just so people understand, Channel 4 have something called the Growth Fund, where they invest in small companies that they see potential in. So how many years in had we been running Whisper by the time Channel 4 came on board? Channel 4 came on board in 2015-16. So we were only going for three years, and we were tiny. We still had maybe four or five members of staff. We were turning over not very much money. But Channel 4 were interested because they liked the setup of the business. They liked the fact we had no debt, that we had a little bit of work going on. But I think more than that, I think what they liked was our ambition. Because I think when we first spoke with Channel 4 and they said, you know, what do you want to be? Well, I have no shame in admitting that we both said we want to be the biggest production company in the UK. At that point, probably we said the biggest sports production company because at that time we were very focused on doing sport. But I don't see the benefit in believing that you're going to be anything other than as amazingly successful as you want to be. Yeah. You know, why shouldn't the High Performance Podcast be the biggest podcast on the planet? Why shouldn't the High Performance Book be the best-selling business book ever why shouldn't whisper be the biggest production company in the uk because if you think any smaller than that then you're definitely never going to get there and wouldn't it be bloody exciting just to see if we could get there yeah so channel four came on board but then i think it's important to remember that that brought suddenly its own challenges people viewed us winning the formula one contract with real suspicion because we had been we'd become part of channel four through the growth fund and I'll tell you a story about this that shows you how much it was absolutely not. It was almost the opposite. So the lady who was in charge of Channel 4 at the time, she wanted me to go, leave BT Sport and become a, a presenter on Channel 4 again, doing Formula 1. Now, the problem for me with that was that it just tied two things too closely together. 
because we wanted to win this contract. So do you know what we decided to do? We decided that I would not leave BT Sport, but that we would go to all the people who'd worked on the, the Formula One coverage for the BBC where it was previously. And we would get them to agree to work with us. And we would make a booklet about all of the amazing people that we'd hired. And I remember putting something on there like um, a combined total of 500 years of Formula One broadcast experience. And then we went to Channel 4 and we said to Jay Hunt, who was the boss at the time, we said, we want to produce this. And you might look at Whisper as a name that is totally new in the industry. But take a look at this booklet we've produced. These are the people who will be working for us because we believe at Whisper that every business is a recruitment business. These are the people. They have hundreds of hours of experience of producing Formula One coverage. Those are the people that will be making this program for you. And we won it. And I'm, it's the thing I'm still most proud of that we had the innovative back to front approach to create a booklet to try and win a TV contract. Nobody does that. I think it's important part of what's driven me is having that kind of ability to think ahead. Yep. Um, it was no, no surprise that we won the Formula One to me. It's a surprise we won it, but getting to that opportunity was not a surprise. So if you go back to the story, we worked in Formula One. We were working in the branded space. We were in the paddock. We had credibility. I'd produced Formula One. Jake had presented Formula One. David had won 13 Grand Prix, just come out of racing, connected with a black book like no one else. So we started the branded stuff and I knew the BBC were going to give up for Formula One because it just didn't work for them financially. And I knew Jay wanted the Formula One. Yep. So that whole growth fund thing didn't happen by chance. It wasn't just a, let's just do this to get credibility. I knew at some point when that Formula One came up, Jay would be in for it and we would be in pole position <laughs> to, to kind of yeah, yeah. go for it. And that, that served us really well as we've gone through as a business and as a team to think ahead and write, what is the goal and how do we work back from it? So every hire pretty much is a strategic hire. It's not just plugging kind of roles. It's right, right. how are we going to get better? What business could this lead to? So tell us, I mean, that's a fascinating process that you're describing in quite matter-of-fact way of, I think, two steps ahead. Tell us... Like break that process down for us because I think it's it's invaluable. I, I think it's um, it's almost like I'm not a comedian, but I'd imagine comedians think quicker than everyone else because they're already trying to come back at you on something. P apply that to a business sense, right? So best example I can think of is I sat down with my MD in my office and I said, we should be proud of what we've achieved. We're doing all these sports but we're not doing cricket. I love cricket. You love cricket. Why are we not doing it? And Mark said, oh, well, I think we can do it. And I was like, I know we can do it, but no one's going to give it to us because we haven't really produced it on, on, on any scale. And we decided that moment, let's go and hire the best cricket producer in the world. We had no cricket portfolio at that time. So we took a punt, got Jake, David, team on board to go and hire the guy who just done the Cricket World Cup in 2019. And I knew if we got him and put a few more blocks around him that we would be producing cricket. We now produce all the cricket in New Zealand for Spark. We now produce all the cricket in West Indies. And we now produce cricket on the BBC. So that, that was very strategic. 
Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So when you're listening to this, Ensonel, this is what I want to try and give them the ability to tap into your way of thinking. It starts with the ambition of this is what I want to have to be to do. And then it goes back to what's the first step I can take to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Everything is a process. It's You've got to kind of build the blocks to get to that end, end goal. And sometimes it feels so unobtainable. Like for us in 2015, when we, when we got into the growth fund, my view is I wanted to do the Paralympics because of what it stood for. Right. So I think we were a company of 15 at the time, 16. I flew over to Rio to just see what it was all about. And I remember everyone looking at me and going, why is he here? I was there four years ahead of Tokyo wanting to win Tokyo. Then I built a team. And then we started doing kind of stuff around Paralympic movement, disabled sport, building a credible disabled team. Um, so it's just been really, really strategic and calculated about how we go about stuff. To me, it's just like a passion. I love thinking. And you don't get every call right, but you've got to make the calls. So just tell us about that Paralympic that you said, I love what it stands for. What, what does it stand um, for? I think as I've matured, as I've grown, as, as we've grown as a business, I, I, I now talk about using our platform to impact positive change. Now, the Paralympics and what it stands for is kind of giving a platform to people who over many years have been marginalised. And kind of that comes back to my roots yeah. of how I felt now the business that we've collectively built and my team have built is super diverse in so many different ways. You walk into Whisper and it actually reflects the society we live in. So I always talk about, I want our office to feel like your journey into work. Whereas more often than not, particularly in TV, historically, the people you see are not the people you see on the way into work. Yeah. And, and for me, it's partly what, I felt growing up, not fitting in. I want people to come in and feel like they belong and they see other people like themselves and creating senior role models that they can aspire to. So to me, that that statement about creating a place of belonging for the disaffected, the outsiders, is a really powerful concept. But I want to go back to employee number three or employee number four, so outside you, Jake and David. How did you go about recruiting that first member of staff of what is now 200 and what was it you were looking for then? Um, I remember it vividly. Um, in fact, she's only just left Julie Porter. I remember we were at Ealing Studios in what was essentially a kind of corner kitchen um, as our office. And I was so embarrassed to interview someone in the office. I said, oh, we've got some work going on in the office. Let's meet at the Costa. And we interviewed her at the Costa um, and she actually had, I think there was the show called The Voice that was just taking off at the time. And she had an option to join us or go to The Voice from Strictly. So that's you identifying that she had the talent that you needed. But what was it you were looking for with Julia that would indicate to you she was a whisper person? 
I think it's that work ethic, being a team player, someone prepared to go on the journey. That was it, really. Someone who believed in the vision. Well, I think we liked the fact, actually, that the option for her was the biggest entertainment show in the UK at the time or a production company with three people. If you're choosing the production company with three people, then you're our kind of person and because it's a risk for her. And we can only be a company that's successful because we take risks. And it's always a risk when you run a business like this. And the risks don't end for us. I mean, this created a really weird period after Julia joined and the business started to grow and the Channel 4 investment came. We started winning terrestrial work. All kinds of odd rumours about Sunnel started to circulate in the TV industry because we'd come out of nowhere. And you've got to remember that in the, in the sports broadcasting landscape, there'd been basically three production companies forever. No one had broken in. People had tried, no one had done it. And suddenly we had. Not only were they sceptical, they were obviously kind of angry because suddenly this is their profit and their turnover that come into this new business. So people started saying to me, oh yeah, what, what's going on at Whisper? I hear Sunnel gets in at four o'clock in the morning and goes on his treadmill for two hours. Or I hear that all staff have to do 10 pull-ups as they come in the office to get them energised. I was like, none of this is true. None of this is true. But you're assuming we're doing something totally different to everybody else because we're being the ones that are successful. But I'll tell you what we did. We created an absolute culture of inclusivity. We created a culture where if you were part of Whisper, you were able to speak to the CEO without an appointment. You were able to get involved in any element of the production. You were made to feel like you belong and totally empowered and also really representative. Is it, you know, Sunil says it kind of almost off the cuff really, but when you win the chance to produce the Paralympics, it is disingenuous to fill the behind the scenes production with able-bodied staff and put disabled presenters in front of the camera because you're making out that you're supporting disabled talent. You're only just supporting the disabled talent that looks good for your channel or for your business. Whereas it was really important to us that at least half the production were disabled. We want half the people in the business to be women. We're pr I'm so proud of the fact that the guy that runs our business is second generation immigrant because people like that don't run production companies in the UK. And I don't think it gets spoken enough about quite what Sunil has done. But I also want people to understand the energy here that comes from feeling like an outsider. Because that's what the energy is behind Whisper. It's feeling like outsiders. But then, how do you get people to come with you on the journey? You make them feel like insiders. You make them feel like they're part of something special. And I think the only time where you can really be properly assessed is when your backs are against the wall. So we were predominantly a sports production company until COVID hit. And we had to pivot because when all of your income pretty much comes from live sport and the entire world of live sport gets shut down, you very quickly don't have a business. So I remember working on the Thursday night hosting Europa League football. And this was the, one of the games behind closed doors when we were, everything felt kind of strange. We were live on air when we heard that COVID was around the Arsenal camp. And then I got a text message from Frank Lampard to say they'd shut the Chelsea training ground. And the whole thing started to escalate fast. And then over that weekend, the Premier League stopped. Then global sport ended, including the Australian Grand Prix. And we're producing Formula One at this point. 
Now that was allied to the fact that on the Monday when the staff came in, knowing what he knew about just how precarious it was for our business, Sonal announced to the staff that he was taking no salary. And I know you'll hate me telling this story because you're too modest to hear it, but he announced to the staff he would take no salary. He was immediately on the phone to Sony, who a few years ago took the Channel 4 investment in Whisper and said to them, you've got an amazing mental health program. We need access for every member of staff immediately because there's going to be some stress and some concern. And myself and David Coulthard put aside a pot of cash so that anyone could use that money if their family were struggling because of COVID. So I think when people outside Whisper look at our business and say, how do you get your staff to really buy into what you're doing? How do you get them to come on the journey? It's moments like that where our business was a few months away from disappearing, yet the people at the centre of Sunnel's thoughts and our thoughts were the staff in the business, right? But So all of that is deliberate. That's not an accident. You've constructed that from employee number one coming in to employee 200 and you're now facing this crisis. How much time do you invest in developing the culture and tell us some of the processes that you go through? Yeah, I think culture is my number one job on a day-to-day basis. And I think it's changed where I used to be doing everything and I hear kind of listen to the podcast and everyone talks about at the start of a business and a startup, you're doing everything. And then kind of you go through a period where you focus on kind of the key levers that are going to really make you distinctive. And it was the output was really important yeah. The hiring was really important. And then I, as I matured, I realized how important the, the team around me were and that how you kind of in, not financially incentivized them, but how you made them feel on a day-to-day basis. And um, as I got more confident, I just wanted to create an environment where people just felt, didn't feel like work. I have this feeling that most people spend more time at work than they do at home. Yeah. So let's create an environment where they want to come in rather than have to. I'm still fortunate that I wake up and I want to go into work. And the moment that stops, then that's probably my time to call it a day at Whisper. But it's all about kind of making people feel it doesn't cost us much money to have fruit for everyone or beers on a Friday. And that's the easy stuff. But I think we're very open with comms. I, I have a rule that when we announce something, put it out on the WhatsApp group, put it out in a newsletter, have we have a team meeting every Wednesday at eleven thirty, come what may. Yeah. We're open, we share as much as possible. And it comes right from me down to the team. Um so that that sense of it being a very open company, you know what's going on, you know what the challenges are, you know what the success is. We also sort of share that success as well. In in a sense that if we win a contract, it's not down to one or two people. I always talk about how often some of the departments in a business, such as HR, legal, facilities, operations, are often left behind when the success comes. But if the office isn't tidy, if people aren't getting paid, the contracts aren't being drawn up, it doesn't matter how good your new business team is or your delivery team is, everything falls apart. So I make a big point of it's it's about everyone. It's about every little detail coming together that makes that success. By the way, I just want to put it on record, we're not perfect. We make so many mistakes, but what I will do is take a chance on, let's try this, let's try that. It's like any entrepreneur. Lots of people forget the mistakes you make, but I think we we try and learn from them, and that's key. So having seen the playbook that you have, where you've got the company values really clearly explicit, the 
decision-making process of whether you will go and try and picture a, a new contract is very clear for an outsider like me to read and understand it. Tell me about the process of how you came to those values and how you ensure that they're being lived. We did it through a rebrand. So if, if you look at our, we've had three logos in our time and I think kind of the first one was just very temporary. The second one, I had it done almost, it, it could have been, it could have been a legal firm, accounting firm, kind of any professional company. And that was to do with fitting in. We wanted to be accepted. So we didn't want a brash logo. Right. We wanted something that just very non-assuming. Yep. And then it got to a point where I just started to believe in myself, started to believe in the business and believe in the team around me. And I was like, almost like, fuck it. Let's just be who we are. And let's just be proud of it. Let's have something a bit bolder, a little bit more ambitious, a little bit more creative, a little bit more diverse, a little bit more honest. And that's where our values came from. It's like, let's, let's be who we are and let's not be afraid of that. And I think for too long, I'd been afraid of standing out. So tell us what those values are then. Be ambitious, be bold, uh, be creative, be diverse, be honest, be relentless. The relentless one I love. That's directly out of, that's basically the tr Stunnel's truth. The rest of them he's put in there to make himself feel better. But be, <laughs> be And I think there is another really important conversation here to have, which is the phrase, make shit happen. <clears throat> when we first started Whisper, we just felt like speed of action from other people and size of thought from other people and level of ambition from other people is just not good enough. Think bigger, make it happen faster. Just believe amazing things can happen. And we coined it as just make shit happen. Just make shit happen. Whether it's hiring more people, make shit happen. Doesn't matter. Obviously when you become bigger and you get more staff, someone comes and says, maybe you could call it make it happen rather than <laughs> make shit happen. So <clears throat> it has changed from make shit happen to make it happen. But I think, what I love is that on the, the wall in Sunnel's office, I walked in there the other day and I love the fact that the phrase make it happen is in his office, right alongside a couple of Charlie Mackesy prints, which are all about kindness and empathy and understanding and love. And I think that if we were just the kids that set this company up and we were saying to people, just make shit happen. People would not like us and they wouldn't want to work for us and we wouldn't be growing. I think when you are a business that still wants to make it happen, but you align it to the empathy and the love and the understanding and getting to know every single person at Whisper as individuals, I think when other people outside our business look in wondering how we've grown in the pandemic, for example, you know, we more than doubled the size of our business in that period. How? Because we looked after people. And I think that that is a superpower that Sonal perhaps doesn't realise that he has. But I think a whole heady mix, and maybe you want to talk about that for a second, the things that you've been through over the last couple of years have probably put love and empathy much more central to the way you run the business and run your life, I think. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a really good learning of, I think when you're in startup mode, and you've got the opportunity and I talk about having this ball and I don't want to let it go because I'm so fortunate to hold the ball back to a rugby analogy. Whilst I'm in possession, I'm not letting go. I'm in possession of whisper and no yeah. one's going to get, get it. I've, I've got to retain it. Um, but when you're in that startup mode and you're taking a chance, I remember I, I wake up, I think about whisper and the last thought I have is about whisper. And that happened for 
years and years and years and it was just non-stop and that came with compromises in my personal life um i gave too much to the business yeah uh, i'd miss out on key milestones not birthdays of my kids or, or, or my wife um but you'd miss bedtime you'd miss the birthday party for a friend you'd miss going on holiday with your mates or whatever it was and they were the compromises i made um, i made so many of those and i think when you're getting going and you you've just got to be prepared to make those compromises and be comfortable with that. And if you can get to a position where you know you're going to miss those moments in your life, but you've got a chance of building something, which is the dream, then that's fine. And making those compromises isn't for everyone. Yeah. There'll be people listening to this will go, actually, I'm not prepared to compromise on missing bath time, or yeah. I'm not prepared to compromise on going on holiday or going on holiday and not being on the phone all holiday, which yeah. it used to be. Um, and then... I think through, particularly through the pandemic, quite a few things happened. COVID was incredibly tough on me from running a team perspective. I'm all about people day to day. And I missed that buzz of seeing my team and yep. every phone call, every team's call I had, I could just see the anguish on people's faces trying to homeschool, be a parent, be a teacher, build a business, all of that sort of stuff. And I felt that pain because I couldn't really do anything about it working on the other end of a computer. And then the George Floyd um, murder happened. And then you had the Caroline Flack suicide. And it just kind of hit me really hard. And I just felt, Christ, this, I think kind of, I, I learned how to be more empathetic and see things through other people's eyes. I was so belligerent in my kind of journey of, I want to I do this with Whisper. Yep. That actually, there's more important things to play. And actually kind of uh, straight off the back of that someone someone bought me the charlie mccasey book and i read it and i was like oh my god this is a game changer for me this is the fox and the, yeah the uh, horse and the, yeah. yeah and it was so simple i'm not a big reader i like i like the idea of yeah, learning yeah. but i can't i'm very slow so i get frustrated um but that book was just very easy to digest but the messaging behind it about the empathy and the kindness and compassion and, and knowing yourself it really did help change my life and I then sort of started to meditate and it sounds bonkers. Well, how's that going to help you? But it has, it's just made me pause, made me more considerate, maybe value things that I once didn't value. Um, and all of that coming together has just in a way kind of made me work less, be more efficient, be a better person. i still have my faults. So tell us then about the Caroline Flack. I mean, that's a surprising admission or the, the George Floyd one. What was it about their deaths that that triggered something in you? I think Caroline Flack was interesting. It was, it was the the whole kind of be kind and try and see things through other people's eyes. Like no one knew truly what she was going through, but yeah, everyone had an opinion on how she was carrying her life. And I think it just triggered a kind of sense of be kind and see life through other people's eyes that really changed for me. So when you're in the heat at the moment, not happy with something or happy with someone, and often I'd get frustrated. It's like, well, I actually kind of just step back and try and see it through someone else's perspective. Um, and the George Floyd moment was really interesting for us. Um, I think it's arguably one of the, the proudest moments I've had at Whisper, where, again, it was a time where all of our revenue had fallen off a cliff. We had no money. We had huge outgoings and overheads, no work to do, really. But we 
we saw the the death of George Floyd and the impact it had on society and a and certain part of society which had been marginalised for a long period of time and still continues to be. And Channel 4 was struggling with ad revenue, not being able to commission anything. And I contacted Channel 4 and one of the commissioners at Fatima, who was the commissioner at Channel 4, who was looking for content. I said, look, I don't have a creative for you, but we as a production company are so passionate about trying to tell some stories around the race issues at the moment that we will fund something ourselves. And she was like, are you mad? And I was like, no, no, no. I want us to impact positive change. And I'll go to my founders, Jake, David, I'll go to my board, Sony, and I'll fight for us to invest tens of thousands of pounds. It wasn't small change to produce a program that comes on air and talks about the challenges that black people have. And we, we co-funded this program called The Talk. Cardiff Productions came up with the creative. We funded it and produced it. And I felt so passionate that even though we had no money coming in, that by doing that, it was going to change someone's life or it was going to help educate people that didn't understand the challenges black people face. And off the back of that, yes, it got nominated and commended with awards and all that sort of stuff. But the, the biggest uh, accolade we've taken away is Sainsbury's now use that to show every new member of staff in terms of their kind of inclusivity, diversity program. And that's kind of how it impacted me and, it, and that's how it's, it's, it's stuck with me. So all of those combinations, those things coming together, having two years away out of the office, not being able to integrate with your team, having to lead a business, deliver numbers, deliver growth, keep a culture, keep your baby alive, which was the business. Yeah, pretty tough two years, but I've had good people around me. And, and it's about learning and not ever thinking you're the finished article. You can always learn more. Um, and I'm, I'm not, as I said right at the beginning, I'm not very academically gifted, but I like the sense of learning. I like the idea of learning. I love this podcast. I, I used to read a lot of business books until my coach said, you stop reading these self-help books um, and believe in yourself a bit more. So you have a coach? Yeah, yeah I'm open about it. I think um, a lot of people see that as a weakness or go, why do you need a coach? Uh, I want to get better. And, and I want someone to be honest with me. And what was the catalyst for that? Uh, pretty, I had very honest feedback from my board. I asked my board, how can I get better? Um, and a lot of the feedback was you, you're quite relentless in your kind of thought process. And I think you could open your horizons a little bit more. And um, I just thought, well, okay, fine, let's, let's deal with it. Like, don't, don't kind of think you're the finished article. And from that moment on, I've, I've just been on this quest to learn, get better, um, improve myself. And it comes back to what DC ingrained in myself and, and, and Jake about marginal gains. If I can get 0.5% better today, then that's, that's a win. And that, that's the way that we've built Whisper, with this belief of marginal gains, this belief that every single part of the business can be improved. If we break Whisper down to a thousand pieces and improve each of those thousand pieces by the smallest amount when we bring the whole business back together we'll have a successful one and it's been such a pleasure to sit and have this conversation because when you set up a, a startup with a friend and you go on this journey which is a decade long you don't really have these conversations along the way because you're either fighting to build the business in our case you're then fighting to save the business and now you're fighting to grow the business you never stop and actually reflect on what the journey has been like. How have you found that? 
Yeah, it's just very therapeutic, isn't it? It's a, you don't step back. I always used to say to Julie, particularly, like just just sometimes step back and look at what you've achieved. And we're not a charity, but the impact we've had on people coming to the industry, um, whether it's people from an ethnic, ethnically diverse background or disabled or more women coming into sport, that's the sort of wins that get me quite high. And I think the one that I've taken real power from is I, I, I like where we started this conversation that you're the outsider speaking for the marginalised or the, the disaffected or the people that are outside themselves. And yet, as you grow exponentially, as you're becoming increasingly successful, how do you avoid becoming part of the establishment? I think it's tough. Success is driven by growth and numbers, and people will say, well, hang on, you're now the establishment. But actually, we continually have events within the business to get more people from part society that struggle to get into TV. So we're kind of constantly tapping into and trying to bring people with us on that journey. We've just done a partnership with Brentford. I'm a Brentford fan and I, I basically called up the CEO and said, look, we want to, I, A, I'm a Brentford fan, so let's put it on the table. B, I think you can get access to parts of society that we can't through your network with the Brentford Trust, your links into the kind of local schools, communities. I think we can kind of do something. Why don't we do a placement two internships one six months at Brentford one six months at Whisper and see how it goes and it's those sorts of things that if you continue to kind of really push not just deliver there's an expectation when you walk through the door at Whisper you should be able to do your job and you should be exceptional if you've got the hiring right you should be exceptional at what you do And, and pretty much everyone 200 plus are exceptional at what they do the next expectation is can you be a nice person all of that kind of comes back to what we're talking about we always finish with our quick fires. I'm interested to hear what you've got for these. What are your three non-negotiables? Work hard, be a nice person, and pay attention to detail. Which leads us on to this question. How important is legacy to you? Hugely. I, I, I talk about, do I want to be remembered for great coverage or great content? No, I want to be remembered. I want us to be remembered collectively as a team, as a, a business that redefined the sorts of people that come into the industry the way that we've kind of reshaped more creative roles being filled by women, more disabled talent coming into the business, more ethnically diverse, more representative. That's what I want to be remembered for. What's your greatest strength as a, as a high performer? And what would you say is your greatest weakness? Greatest strength would be my drive. And my, my greatest weakness is my drive. It's very hard to be around someone who's constantly on. And I am constantly on. And finally, for the people that have listened to this conversation, how would you describe what high performance means to you? Well, I knew you'd ask me that. So I Googled it and it turns out it's a bloody good podcast and it's, a, it's not a bad book either. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I guess um, I'm highly driven, highly motivated, um, highly ambitious and highly strong. Um, I don't see myself as highly high performance in, as such, but... I just have kind of certain attributes that kind of, when they come together, it, it means you can excel at what you're doing. Brilliant. I've loved that, mate. Thank you so much for taking the time, Sano. Thanks for having me. Damien. Jake. Well, that was an interesting one for me. I know it was, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I wasn't sure whether I was hosting it or being interviewed. I wasn't sure what was going on. But I think one of the standouts for me, right, and I really want people to understand this, is that the success of and the growth of Whisper hasn't been like a, hasn't been a really clear plan. 
the ambition has always been there and the desire and the hard work and the commitment and that um, belief that great things are going to happen and trying to be better than everyone else and trying to be different to everyone else has always been there. But it hasn't ever been like, we win this and then hire this and then win this. Because I think it's life's too much of a lottery for that. And I yeah. don't want people to think they can overplan the direction that things go because then they're overcritical of themselves when it doesn't happen, you know? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And I liked the fact that you were there with it and it felt like we were interviewing you as well because I think people will find it fascinating, the story of it, that I almost saw it a bit like an accidental leadership role that someone else found himself in, that, that that's not intended to be rude about him. But I think you and him have been brilliant at spotting opportunities just when they occur rather than, like you say, having this linear... A strategic plan of where you were going to go and I think there's something really powerful about being open to opportunities and then taking them when they come rather than sometimes going out there to create those opportunities and I'm, I'm also a really sort of big advocate of like quiet leadership or reluctant leadership and I would say Sunil is a reluctant leader you know I'm always saying to him that the TV industry doesn't celebrate him enough you know he is an Asian son of a shop owner from Twickenham who yeah. had no contacts and no friends in the TV industry, started off at the bottom and worked his way up. And he's like, oh no, I don't really want people to talk about me. You know, he never wants to be the centre of attention. He always credits the team with everything that he does. He's brilliant at getting great people around him. If we get a win, he never says, look what I've won. It's always what the team have won. However, if we lose, he's the first one to put his hand in the air and say that he's the one that's made the mistake. And I think that he's the leader of Whisper through default, through his actions, through yeah. the things that he does, rather than deciding he's going to be a leader. You know? Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I that I met him when you'd introduced me, and and the story that stood out for me is that when he 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 took that pay cut completely during COVID to save the business, he wasn't asking anyone else to take a cut, but that he wasn't prepared to take in greater measure, and I just think. We're hardwired as humans that we don't follow hypocrites. We don't warm to people that talk a good game and then don't back it up. And that from the very first occasion of meeting somebody that was prepared to not only put his money where his mouth was, but, you know, take the pain that mm. came from it. And before we asked anybody else to do it, just made me warm to him. And I can see how, as a leader, if that's the vibe that he's giving off to me meeting him, working for him would be even more inspiring. Well, thanks for the... Uh... Thanks for the effort. It was nice for me to reminisce about the 10-year journey. I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. And I hope people appreciate that your own story is tied up in this in such an incredible way that, again, you're practicing what you preach. We're now joined by a high-performance listener called Luke. Luke, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, good afternoon, gents. It's good to be here. Now, normally at this point, I would read out the message that was sent in, but I think this is something that you should sort of share with us, really. Would you mind talking us through what happened um, in 2021 and the role that high performance played? Yeah, certainly. So I'm in touch with you guys because I discovered the podcast through um, what was a difficult time for certainly my other half, but also myself supporting her last autumn. Um, we were due to become parents for the first time back in October 21. Early September, um, she started feeling unwell. Uh, we went to the doctor to get her checked out and what we thought was going to be, you know, some fairly innocent nausea symptoms. Um, and we ended up escalating through the course of that day through the 
hierarchy of the NHS being checked out by the sort of the, the immediate responders and then going into actually being checked in. Um, and yeah, it was very clear that something wasn't right. Um, her, her liver and her kidneys basically started shutting down. Um, and they decided that she was likely to be suffering from something called acute fatty liver pregnancy. It's a very rare condition occurs in something like between one in seven and 15,000 pregnancies. Um, and the only cure really is just to deliver the baby there and then. So they said, right, we're going to get you checked in. Um, Jesse's going to go in, we're going to deliver the baby. For me, it was just a case of focusing on, on the information that I needed to take in at that point and, and, really work out what we were going to do because they effectively said right we're going to take her into surgery for an emergency c-section um you've got about five minutes at this point to say your goodbyes and, and work out what you want to to say at this point which is like well you know what, what do you say at that point in time um she went in um little one was delivered and whisked straight off to um intensive care jess unfortunately she she came back out again but her numbers then started going downhill. Um, she was rushed straight off to the next door hospital to us, which was the QE um, here in Birmingham, um, where they fought. And, and it was very touch and go for the next 24 hours or so. And uh, But luckily, she pulled it through. Um, our little one did really well, actually. I mean, he was in intensive care for about a week or so. But while they were fixing Jess up, it was apparent that our little one was going to be coming home before she was. So I had to get up to speed on how to do this dad thing very quickly. Um, they were really good in the hospital, actually. They hadn't done this before, but they said, what we're going to do is we'll admit you into our transitional care ward, teach you how to look after your little one. They'd not done that for a bloke before, so that led to some fun scenes while all these new mothers were looking at me and wondering what this hairy-ass bloke was doing and the breakfast queue in the mornings afterwards. But it was fantastic because they taught me everything, changing nappy, feeding, all the rest of it, and a week after he was born, our little one was back home with me and I was kind of on my own, albeit with family help and friends' help as well, to look after our little one while Jess was in hospital recovering. Um, and that's, to cut a long story short, that's where I discovered the podcast really because friends and family support is all well and good, but they're not around at three o'clock in the morning. And I found that the timeline that I was operating on of looking after our little one, of trying to arrange visits into the hospital so that Jess could get some time once she was actually out of the induced coma that she was put into. I was just getting a lot and I was struggling, particularly when I was feeding the little one, just to keep my eyes open at night time because it's, it's so tiring, even, even for a, a so-called smooth pregnancy. Um, and so I looked, I thought, well, okay, I've got headphones. I can stick the headphones on, find something to listen to. And I spotted the podcast and uh, there were a few names on there that I recognised. I'm a Big F1 fans, Toto and Christian were on there, so they obviously attracted me first of all. Nims Perger was on there, of course, who I'd seen on the Netflix documentary as well. So that's how I started. So that was my thing, basically. I would stick the headphones on. Our little one would be screaming the haste down while I changed his nappy because he didn't like that at the time initially. Um, I could turn on the noise cancelling, which helped to dim that out a little bit. And uh, while I was feeding him, knock the noise cancelling off so I could actually hear that everything was going down as it should be. And uh, and sit up with him that way, really. I mean, it sounds like an incredibly confusing, bewildering, emotional roller coaster that you were on. So, what was it about the podcast messages that you found soothed and helped you? It was almost a coping mechanism, really, um, to focus on the stories of the people you were interviewing who do incredible things in 
it just helped to kind of ground me really to think, okay, well, this is a tough moment at the moment, but let's focus on what are the things that we need to get through, what needs to happen in the next hour, the next two hours, and then just apply that to my own circumstances really. And then have, have stories as I say to listen to on the podcast to apply there. And then following that time as well, once Jess was was thankfully back out of the hospital and she was back home recovering and she was able to start, you know, taking over and doing her her stuff as a mom, I was back at work and I was able to then apply those lessons to my workplace. I started interviewing for jobs because I was keen to, to move on and, and take on some more responsibility and actually applied for and got a new job, which I started a few months ago now at a, a different institution. And um, yeah, I've just found it's, it's been very helpful as, as well as just the, the pure academic interest of listening to how some people lead their lives. And now that your other half is back home and your baby's healthy, and for those that are listening to this and can't see it, I know you're talking to us with a sling on. I won't mention how you broke your arm, but you've had a bit of an injury. Do you feel like high performance is kind of insulating you for things that may well come up in the future? Because we all have best laid plans, and as you've said, best laid plans often don't happen. Do you feel in a better place for dealing with whatever might be in front of you in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are so many lessons um, when I was kind of having to think about what I wanted to say on on this chat, trying to narrow down the things that really stuck out to me. I think the one, one of your rugby interviewers, they spoke about feeling nerves during a game and flipping that round. So that instead of seeing that as a negative thing, actually embracing it as a positive. If you're feeling nervous, if you're feeling excited, feeling the pressure that means you're where you want to be you care about what you're doing um and that's something certainly in interviews i also in my spare time so i play keyboards part of a big soul band and sometimes we'll do a big gig and you can feel the nerves picking up there and again just that slight flip in your head of just thinking okay well you know if i'm feeling the butterflies in my stomach that's that's not a bad thing is it that's that's something positive there i love that listen Thank you so much for coming and joining us and we wish you all the best with whatever comes next. Thank you both. Yeah, it's been great to see you and uh, it's always weird when your podcast people start talking back to you, but it's been fun. <laughs> well, look, as always, huge thanks to you for growing and sharing this podcast among your community. I, I only ask one thing, just one thing, and it is that you tell someone about this podcast. That is the thing that makes the biggest difference to us. I don't care about whether you sign up for The Circle or buy the books or come and see us on tour or anything like that. I just want you to tell someone that might need high performance in their life that it's here for them and that it's free and they can access all of it. Please spread the learnings that you're taking from these conversations. Thanks to Finn and Hannah, to Will, Eve, to Gemma, to the whole team behind High Performance. And remember, There is no secret. As you've heard, especially on this episode, it's all there for you. So please chase world-class basics and don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious and empathetic. And we'll see you very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.